welcome back to the second episode of Toronto True Crime. I am your host, Laura, and thank you so much for listening to my very new and in its infancy, but soon to be improved podcast. So to anyone who listened to my first episode, thank you so much. If you're interested, my first episode is about the murders of Aaron Gilmore and Susan Tice, and I will provide the link underneath this podcast. So this week, let's jump right into our case, which is the disappearance of eight-year-old Nicole Morin. I never thought that it would run so long. I mean, you just keep going one year at a time, and you keep hoping. Oh, this is uh, it's really nice. Art Moran pulls out pictures of his daughter from his wallet, saying he never thought 30 years would pass with still no trace of Nicole. The 8-year-old went missing three decades ago today, July 30th, 1985, after heading out to meet a friend to go swimming. This case is quite notorious in Toronto. It's very, very famous. And it's quite an interesting and big undertaking for me to do, so I'm going to try to do it justice. So the summer of 1985... Eight-year-old Nicole Morin was making good use of the swimming pool in the rear of her Etobicoke apartment building. At around 11 a.m. on July 30th, the little girl was wearing her favorite bathing suit, carrying a pink towel, and she said goodbye to her mother. She was on her way to meet a friend in the lobby of her apartment building located at 627 The West Mall. In 1985, Etobicoke was considered a safe neighborhood, and most parents thought nothing of letting their kids go and play without any supervision. Nicole's disappearance changed the way that parents let their children play. A person involved in the case was quoted as saying, it was one of the ones that kind of made people start to realize that maybe it's not safe just to let your kids run around and play out in the yard without supervision. So when I was looking around for information about this case, I found a lot of quotes, um, especially comments on YouTube videos of people who were shocked that somebody would let their child go and play unsupervised in the rear of their building. It's important to remember it was the 80s. It was a different time. That time in Toronto, Etobicoke and the West End wasn't that built up. It was considered safe, low crime. And the swimming pool where Nicole was going was located on the property of where she lived. So presumably her mother thought she would be completely fine to go from the front door of her own apartment building, go to the elevator, down to the lobby, and then walk towards the back of the building. And a lot of parents did the same thing without any thought. The kids would change into their bathing suits in their apartment and go and entertain themselves and cool down in the back of the, the building. Nicole was supposed to meet a friend in the lobby of her apartment. According to reports, the friend had called up to Nicole's apartment to see when she would be down, and Nicole said she was on her way. The friend reportedly waited in the lobby for 15 minutes. When Nicole still hadn't shown up, the friend called back upstairs to the apartment. Jeanette, who is Nicole's mother, answered and reportedly, and I quote, thought nothing of the fact that Nicole still wasn't downstairs and that, also quote, kids would be kids and riding elevators was, was part of play. Again, this can go back to that was just kind of how it was in the 80s. It was a different time. She didn't think a lot of the fact that 15 minutes had elapsed and Nicole hadn't made her way down to the lobby. Eventually, Nicole's friend left and went to go swimming on her own. It's still unknown if Nicole ever made it to the elevator on the 20th floor where she lived or if she was taken in the hallway before she even reached the elevators. From the videos I've watched of the reenactment, the hallway is very narrow 
And as somebody who lives in a downtown Toronto, a very old building, you hear everything that happens in the halls. It echoes, um, you know, doors closing, people talking, like everything is very, very, very loud in these hallways, these old cement hallways. I'm assuming if she was able to scream out that someone would have overheard some sort of scuffle or been alarmed by the fact that something was going on in the hall. And again, when I watched the reenactments of the video of the sort of the abduction where this actually took place, the hallways are very, very narrow. She evidently disappeared somewhere between her apartment door and the lobby of the building. I have found through other sources that there is some suggestion that there is some evidence that she may have made it to the ground floor. As I mentioned in the episode I did last week, Toronto police are really not great about releasing a lot of information. There just hasn't been any, any of the information that is concrete. I will say this has been confirmed by police. The person that was interviewed was somebody who was working with police and alluded to the fact that she may have made it to the lobby. I don't know if there was any security CCTV in the lobby. It was 1985. I don't know how prevalent it was back then. It could, it could exist, but as I've always said about the Toronto police, if it existed, I would assume it would have been released because that's what they tend to do. I guess it's just important to keep in mind that there was some suggestion she did make it to the ground floor. At 6 p.m. that evening, Nicole's mother, Jeanette, called the police and reported her missing. This launched one of the biggest searches that Toronto police have ever undertaken. Over 900 volunteers participated in the search. They turned up nothing. And over 15,000 man hours were put into the search from the day Nicole went missing to January of the following year. So eventually the police wound up creating a task force in 1985 that consisted of 20 members. They searched the area in which Nicole disappeared on cars, horses, aircrafts, ATVs, really, really thoroughly, and they didn't find a trace. From what has been released, she was wearing a bathing suit, shoes, and a towel. Not even her towel was found. She literally just disappeared and they found nothing. I mean, she was supposedly, I mean, the window of time that she was taken, I would say would be from 11 a.m. on that Tuesday, July 30th. The police were notified at six. I'm assuming that they arrived on scene and started looking very, very quickly and nothing turned up. And to this day, uh, I'm recording this November 9th, 2017, no trace has ever been found. One thing of note, when I was looking into this, I found that a lot of people voiced concern about Nicole's mother not contacting the police until 6 p.m. And Nicole was last seen at 11 a.m. I just wanted to mention that the mother ran a home daycare from her apartment. She, I mean, I would assume she had her hands full, um, as she was quoted as saying. She didn't think a lot of it. You know, I'm assuming Nicole would go and play in the pool, cool down, be active, and then return for dinner. Her alarm bell started going off around the time that... Nicole should have been home for dinner. The mother was very busy and distracted. Um, from what I can find, the father did not live. It was just Nicole and her mother that lived in her apartment. In 2014, the police released a reenactment video of what they believed happened to Nicole when she disappeared. They've released a few over the years. There was a renewed interest in this case a couple of years ago, just trying to utilize social media and you know ask the public for help. So they've 
filmed one, the most recent one that I could find was 2014. We've recently filmed the reenactment of the last known actions of Nicole Moran at 627 the West Mall. The video is one minute long. I'm asking that members of the public watch the video. I'm asking that the assembled media today assist us in making that video available to them. It's only one minute long. There's a number of ways historical crime is solved. Witnesses may remember something they saw that can assist investigators. Also, criminals talk. They brag and they confess. My belief is someone out there may know what happened to Nicole Moran in 1985 and for whatever reason feels like they can't come forward. I will put a link to the video in the description of this episode so you can feel free to watch it yourself. Uh, this specific recording was taken from a 30-minute press conference that the police did in 2014, and the media asked some pretty decent questions, so I'm going to go ahead and play those for you. Do you think that now, almost three decades later, you'll be able to find anything that you weren't able to find back then? Um, we're using the methods that we have available to us now that weren't available back in 1985, such as social media campaigns, and we're hoping that by reaching out we'll get a broader spectrum of the public and that somebody who has that information will feel comfortable now in coming forward and providing us with that info. What's your uh, last or most current lead in this case? We receive leads con continually. We have since 1985. We've received uh, leads as recently as this year, and we continue to follow up on them. Absolutely, we've never lost hope that we can find Nicole, and that is our hope that we will one day find her alive. But we do um, hope that at the very minimum that we'll find information as to what happened on that day. Yes. This renewed publicity in Nicole's case did actually result in some progress, and a tip was revisited, one that was submitted in 1985 and some property up about 20 kilometers north of Barrie was searched. A search for a little girl who went missing nearly 30 years ago picked up today in our region. Nicole Moran was eight years old when she disappeared near her home in Toronto. Now the OPP and police from Toronto are searching a rural area in Springwater Township trying to solve this cold case. Catherine Ward has tonight's top story. It's been nearly 29 years since 8-year-old Nicole Moran went missing, but police aren't giving up hope. Something that needs to be followed up on, and we want to make sure that we do everything possible to bring her home. On July 30th, 1985, the young girl vanished from her Etobicoke apartment building. She was meeting a friend to go swimming, but never showed up. New leads have now brought police to Springwater Township, just off Highway 400, to a dense forest, looking for anything that might be connected to her disappearance. It is, it's a memory that's been, been, been bothering people, a number of people, for quite a while about something that took place here 30 years ago, around the time that, that Nicole went missing. And as a result of that constantly bothering them, and the fact that we brought it back to, into the media through, through you guys, through the forefront, uh, they decided to contact us and give us this information just to try to help us find her. Police won't elaborate on what the tip was. Today, dozens of officers and dogs scoured the brush. The OPP were called in to help because this area falls within their boundaries. And we're just going in and doing ground searches and going through the, the areas and the wooded areas around here looking for any evidence at all. Clothing, uh, what we think of, if she's in here, it would be clothing might be in here, the shoes that she was wearing might be in here. If, if she did be with foul play, 
We're kind of thinking that would be here. That would be the things that would last. In the nearly three decades since Nicole Moran's disappearance, police have never stopped looking for clues. Just three months ago, they released a video which included a reenactment of what they believe may have happened on the day the little girl disappeared. This has become one of the most expensive investigations to date. The tips have trickled in for years. The tips we've had have kind of been all over. Uh, we've gotten tips as far as Europe and, you know, across Canada and into the United States. So it doesn't surprise me. And in fact, we're not really that far. It's only about an hour north of the city. Nicole's mother has passed away, but her father is still alive. Her father obviously wants to know what happened to her and wants would love to see her come home one day. Uh, I think he has always been waiting for her to knock at the door and, and be able to hold her again. Police have now wrapped up their search for the day and have not found anything. They tell us they will be back on site again tomorrow morning to have another look, but tomorrow's search will likely not last all day. Reporting live, I'm Catherine Ward. Tony, back to you. That clip is from October 2014, and the newscast did follow up with a report the next day. Police continued their search in Springwater Township for any clues to explain the disappearance of Nicole Morin, who was last seen in Toronto nearly 30 years ago. It's the second day Toronto police and the OPP have been scanning the forest because of a tip they received. This is the same area they searched when Morin first went missing. Even with modern technology, they say the new search has not put them any further ahead. The ground search, we've used TurroTech, we've used uh, GPS ground mark, everything we've done. We've used uh, ground penetrating radar in areas that were suspicious. We've gone to the point of digging up some of those areas that we thought were suspicious, looking for any evidence whatsoever. And we still have nothing conclusive, nothing to tell you. Police say they will not be back tomorrow. They hope this search will result in more leads, though. Police ask anyone with any information to contact Crime Stoppers. So that is the last official update from law enforcement, and that was back in 2014. When I went through the internet articles, there's been some articles and interviews here and there with people who were involved in the case or close to the case. The anniversary of Nicole's disappearance was July 2015, and there were some events held around that time to mark the 30th anniversary of her disappearance. To mark the 30th anniversary of his daughter's disappearance, Art Moran, Nicole's father, did an interview with CBC News. Michelle Chung spoke exclusively with her father, who says he still holds out hope. Very, very shortly before she disappeared. After three decades, Art Moran keeps only a few mementos of his daughter, Nicole. You cannot have this in front of you all the time. Otherwise, you know... Can't take it. When his eight-year-old disappeared, he spent more than a decade hiring private investigators and traveling the world to pursue tips in the hopes of finding her. I was positive I would find her. You know, I thought I knew in my mind that somebody took her away. And now? Well, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Moran hasn't given up either. He keeps the investigators' contacts next to his phone. He's always lived minutes away from the apartment where Nicole disappeared, just in case. If she's alive and if she wants to come back to Toronto, we're in the same area. We're not far away. Michelle Chung, CBC News, Toronto.
The most recent media coverage that I could find was an article from InsideToronto.com from April 9th, 2017, and it was just talking about how this August would have been 32, sorry, this July would have been 32 years since Nicole disappeared. So the case has not only gone cold from an investigative perspective, but the media coverage is very, very, very scarce. So now we're going to get into theories, and there are three that I would like to mention. So I'm going to start with the most realistic one, that she was taken by someone from the apartment building. Obviously the suspect pool is limited in terms of the residents from the building. The police would have had a list of every single tenant and presumably everybody who lived in each individual apartment. I'm assuming that they interviewed each of those people and nothing came of it. I'm also assuming that they considered maintenance men, repairmen, delivery men. It was quite a large complex. The building was 21 stories and from what I can see it was attached or very, very, very closely located by another building. So there would have been so many people in and out of that area. At the time, that part of Etobicoke wasn't very built up, but it was very close to major highway, so Rathburn Road, 427, the 401. So geographically speaking, it would have been very easy to get on a highway from that apartment and out of the area very quickly. I'm also assuming that the police interviewed friends and relatives of the people who lived in the apartment building. It was reported that the morning that Nicole disappeared, she had gone down to retrieve the mail from the family's mailbox, which would have been located in the lobby of the apartment. So it's entirely likely that someone noticed her there and was able to note the apartment that she lived in because the mailboxes there would have the unit number that the mailbox belonged to. So if Nicole lived in 210, the mailbox would say 210. So it would be very easy to figure out which unit she would be going back to. I think it's possible that Nicole came out of her apartment into the hallway and somebody was there waiting for her. It's very likely that they knew that she was going swimming because that's what she did every day. There was no information that I could find that the mother said, oh, Nicole went swimming every day in the week in the summer, but it's not easy to make the jump from she was spotted in the lobby to she was taken right from the hallway and just pulled into a car in the parking garage or in the front of the apartment and taken away. The next theory that has been discussed is about a man named Dennis Melvin Howe. He is a convicted rapist. He has been confirmed as the person who murdered Sharon Morningstar Keenan, who was abducted from Jean Sebelius Park in Toronto on January 31st, 1983. I'm assuming that this connection was made through DNA. Unfortunately, Dennis Melvin Howe has actually disappeared. Nobody knows where he is. He has yet to be apprehended and there's a whole episode's worth of information on this man and that murder but back in the 80s there was a really large rash of murders of young girls in Toronto. Now Nicole's body has never been found but it seems as though there was a serial killer operating in Toronto preying on little girls. So some people have mentioned that there's a possibility that Dennis Melvin Howe could have committed the murder. The last theory that I'll mention, and this one's a little bit more out there, is that the, uh, Nicole's father, Art Moran, belonged to a church. And in 1987, Art Moran 
granted an interview to the Toronto Star, and he theorized that someone from his church took Nicole and that Nicole knew about it and cooperated. So if you dig around on the internet, there's some rumors about Nicole having written in a note at school that she was, quote, going to disappear. I don't know how much clout that has, but it's been mentioned a couple of times in the information that I've looked through. It was also reported that a slender blonde woman holding a notebook was seen at the end of the hall 40 minutes before the disappearance. There's two th schools of thought here that that woman was waiting for Nicole and Nicole went willingly with her. Some people have even brought up the idea that it was Carla Homolka, who is a very notorious serial killer who was operating in Toronto around, you know, in the 80s and early 90s. I'm going to push the Carla Homolka theory aside and say that that's a bit out there. Uh, but the theory that she was taken and she went willingly, I mean, I doubt that. Some people say that she waved goodbye to her mother and that was her saying goodbye. I think it was just a little girl saying, okay, bye, mom. Have a good day. I'm going to the pool now. So those are the three theories that I feel comfortable presenting. I'm curious to see what everyone else thinks, what you think is most likely. So that about does it for this episode of Toronto True Crime. I hope that this episode was informative, that it put together a good picture of the case, and it was. this is as much information that's available from 1985 to 2017. Everything that's out there, I hope I've done Nicole Moran justice by putting together a decent episode. If anyone has any information, you're asked to call Toronto Police at 416-808-2200 or contact Crime Stoppers anonymously at 1-800-222-8477. That spells out 1-800-222-TIPS. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope I did a better job than I did last week. If you like this podcast, if you like this subject matter, if you want me to continue, please listen, let me know, comment. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'm very active on the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit. So feel free to shoot me a message on there or comment on one of my posts. Ideally, I'm going to try to do one episode a week. Take care, be safe, and I will see you next.